Thanks for bringing your Bibles with you today. If you have them, we're going to look at the book of Proverbs, the first chapter today. When you think Proverbs, what do you think? How about wisdom? You think wisdom. And that's what I want to talk about today. We've been on this little mini-series for a few weeks on finding your way, and we've talked about the promises of God, that God will perform His promises. No matter what circumstance in life you find yourself, God has a promise for you, and you can trust that He will fulfill that promise. And last week we talked about the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, our confident trust and hope in God is what gives us sustaining joy, which is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And today I want to talk about wisdom, because wisdom is centrally important as we go along the way in life. Sometimes we get off the way, sometimes we lose our way, but To find our way and stay on the way requires the wisdom of God, to understand the will of God, the ways of God, the words of God, so that when we come to the crossroads and make choices in life, we will do so wisely. So again, today, Proverbs chapter 1, I'm going to read the first seven verses. Our custom here at Union Chapel is to stand as we hear God's word. As you're able, would you please do so? Proverbs 1.1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And may God inspire us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Heard the story of a man who had a flat tire just outside of a psychiatric hospital, and he took the hubcap off the car, and then all the lug nuts went in the hubcap, and as he was pulling the flat off the car, he jostled the hubcap and turned all of the lug nuts, and they went down the storm drain. Gone. He said, oh man, what am I going to do? And he's circling the car and he's throwing his hands in the air and he's exasperated by the whole experience. But a guy from the hospital has been watching this whole scene. And so from his window, he calls out to the man. He said, take one of your lug nuts off of the other three tires, put the tire on, and that will hold you till you get to the service station. He said, that's brilliant. How in the world did you figure that out? And he said, look, mister, he said, I've got my problems, but I'm not stupid. (laughs) We get some words confused as we attempt to define them. One word is an intellect. The other word is knowledge. A third word is wisdom. Intellect, if we try to define it, is simply our capacity to learn. All of us have greater or lesser capacity to learn, but we all have capacity to learn, and that's what intellect is. I did hear recently that it's possible to increase your IQ, your intelligent quotient, but you can only do so uh, briefly or for a short period of time, and what some scientists have discovered is that you can increase your IQ by as much as 10 points for a period of maybe 45 minutes or an hour if you listen to the music of Mozart. I just thought, I think that's fascinating. And, but this is, a, this is a heads up for anyone who's in finals week or facing finals soon. 
Listen to Mozart. The hour before you go in to take your test, 10 points on the IQ could make all the difference in the world. You, you may not have to take eighth grade over again. Just listen to Mozart. Could help you over the top. Knowledge, on the other hand, is the body of information you've accumulated through your study or through your experiences. And everyone has uh, a certain amount of knowledge. Actually, knowledge isn't necessary anymore. If you have a smartphone, you can find out literally any fact of human history in about eight seconds. So knowledge is available. Let me tell you what you can't get from a smartphone. It's the third word we're trying to define today, and that is wisdom. You can get all the knowledge of human history on a smartphone, but you can't get wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to take that intellect and that knowledge and make practical application. It deals with the attempt in your life to do good. Now listen to this statement. You cannot do evil wisely. You can't do evil things wisely. Because uh, uh, evil and wisdom are incongruent. They don't go together. You can do evil things with cunning... You can do evil things cleverly, but you can't do evil things wisely. So wisdom is an attempt to do what is good and to avoid that which is evil. It deals with noble ends. Wisdom leads you to noble ends such as justice and piety. It's not merely the ability to know things, but it is the ability to make good decisions. So as you are in the course of life and at moments of decision, crossroads of life, it is important then that you have access to the wisdom of God. I wonder what God would want me to do in this moment. And if I know the will of God, the words of God, the ways of God, I can make wise choices. Now, what I want to do this morning is simply kind of work our way through the book of Proverbs a bit and pick out some ideas that represent the wisdom of God in our lives. We could, we could make this a 10-week series, picking out wise, uh, the, the wisdom of God in the, in the course of the book of Proverbs. But uh, just for t- today's sake, I just want t- to orient you to the book of Proverbs so you can see the potential there. So on your outline, you'll see the first point I want to make is simply this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 from our text, the beginning of all wisdom is the fear of God. Now, we find subsequently in the book of Proverbs this phrase, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, Uh, you say, well, okay, atheism is a foolish life philosophy. Well, that's one way to to look at that verse. But here's here's, uh, the application of the verse. That means that a person can live believing that no one is watching them, to talk as though no one is hearing them, to think as though no one can see them, to act as though there is no God. And that sense, listen, that sense of assumed secrecy is the height of foolishness. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There's no one listening, no one watching, no one caring, no one noticing, no one observing, no one holding accountable. And so people live with very little sense that God is taking notice, that no one is actually recording their words, that no one is standing behind looking over your shoulder as you're looking at a computer, that that no one is taking account of a judgmental attitude that has developed in your life or a critical spirit, that no one notices or cares about that. So the first fundamental key to wisdom is the sense of the ongoing fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So 
we've got to differentiate now what the fear of God is. The fear of God is not being phobic or terrorized by a God who, who may react the way we do under certain stress points where he becomes vindictive or easily offended or pouty or wanting to be re- re- revengeful. But instead, we recognize God for who he is, not an unpredictable God, not a whimsical God, not an not a impulse God, but a God who is steady, who is consistent, who is reliable, who is faithful, who never changes, who is good and loves us unconditionally so that we can have an awesome respect for this amazing God we serve. And we do that in an honorable way so that we serve God in wisdom. So the fear of God, the healthy fear of God, is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't have wisdom, friends, the first place you start is to fear God. Now, right away, we can clear up a lot of problems because there are all kinds of people off track and off the way and out of control and running here and there and in unnecessary conflict and all kinds of relational dysfunction and personal crisis and, and, and moral and psychological unbalance. And, and, and so the first step, the beginning of wisdom that people need is the fear of the Lord. People tell me stories, you know, please pray for my family member. They're a mess. They're, they're, they say this, they do that, they act the other way. And my first question is often, do they know Jesus? <laughs> and if the answer is, actually, they don't know Jesus. They're not people of faith. I say, well, that's how we need to pray, that they'll find Jesus, because Jesus really matters. We can't expect people to act and live out their lives in a wise way if they don't know the source of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the cornerstone of wisdom. And so that's where it begins. So hear that. Now here's the second thought. It's on your outline. Wisdom speaks to morality and honesty. It speaks to morality and honesty. Look at Proverbs chapter 9. I'll put it on the screen for you. It says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. Now here we, here we see uh, the entire ninth chapter of the book of Proverbs actually dealing with a seductive woman. She is, she is this type. She is this symbol who stands on the street corner beckoning people to come into her house. She's, she symbolizes, represents immorality and wretchedness. And so she's there, and she's alluring, and she's beautiful. And as you come by her, her part of the street, she says, why don't you come on in with me? Come on into my house. We'll sit down and we'll have a conversation. Come on, come on in into the house with me. And what the Bible is suggesting is that the person who lacks wisdom will say to themselves, oh, I can turn in there. I can go into that house. That won't hurt me. There's nothing sweeter than stolen water. There isn't anything sweeter than bread eaten in secret. I mean, you know, after all, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So sure, I can go there and just behave any way I want. I can turn in there. No harm, no foul. And what we learn from the Scripture is that sin is not only alluring, it's actually satisfying. Sin is satisfying. That's why it's so popular. You know, bread eaten in secret, that's really tasty. That's really sweet. And so sin becomes very popular. Here's the the problem, though, with sin. As fun as it is and exciting as it is and 
and, and wonderful as it is, here's the problem. There's a price tag that comes with the sin. There's a cost to it. Because sooner or later, sooner or later, but inevitably, you have to pay the piper. You may get away with it today. You may enjoy it for a few days. You may enjoy it for a year or two. You may actually engage in sinful behavior for decades on end. But sooner or later, you have to pay. The Apostle Paul said it this way as he wrote the, the church at Rome. And he said, the wages of sin, the cost for sin, the wages of sin is death. <laughs> but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we get perspective on sin. And the Bible is talking to us about the wisdom of God as it relates to the way we live our lives, morality and honesty. Temptation never comes with a list of consequences with them. You know, if you taste that, touch that, feel that, experience that, do that, it's, it's all good. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be fun. It never comes with, you know, if you do that, you're going to get sick. If you do that, you're going to get sour. If you do that, you're, you're going to get dragged away from your relationship with God. If you do that, you're going to compromise the more important relationships in your life. You never get the consequences. A wise person, though, will say, you know, if I do that, say, say that, taste that, touch that, I wonder what will happen as a result of that. One of the things that keeps me out of some, some hot water over the years is the simple practice of rehearsing consequences. Let's see, what would happen if I did that? Let's just play that out. <laughs> you know, it's like the guy who says, I need cash. I need some cash. How can I get my hands on some cash? I know, I'll go hold up a convenience store. That's it. That's how I'll get some cash. I take a gun in there, give me the cash, I walk out, I'm good to go. It doesn't ever play out. I'll go in there with a gun, and because I have a gun, someone else might shoot me. And then I get arrested, and then I get sent to prison for seven years. How bad do I need the cash? Maybe not that bad. Maybe I'll find some other way to get cash. And so rehearsing consequences is a great deterrent to sinful behavior. That's what the wise person does. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. We've seen this happen with regard to morality and honesty. In 2008, you know that the economy imploded. Not only did everyone in this room suffer as a result of that and continue to suffer at some level, but most of the other rest of the world has suffered as well. And now with hindsight, we look back and we say, well, that was all preventable. We saw institutions of all sizes and shapes across the world, particularly in the United States, issuing loans that were unsubstantiated, that were not properly collateralized. And as a result of that, people reaching for a fast buck and trying to turn, turn these things over, knowing full well that people who were being awarded these mortgages weren't going to be able to repay them. And it all fell like a house of cards. And you wonder, what are these people thinking? Well, when dishonesty and greed comes into play, we begin to see the consequences of that. Proverbs 11.1 1 says, The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are His delight. Do you hear full disclosure there? I mean, that's the wisdom of God. Proverbs 15.6, The house of the righteous contains great treasure, but the income of the wicked brings them trouble. That sure played out in 2008. So what, what are these folks thinking? How much is enough? 
Wisdom, you see, is about morality and honesty based on the fear of God. That is, to do the right thing, to live in an honorable way, and no matter what it may cost me in some kind of financial way, I choose to do what is right. That's the wisdom of God. Here's number three. It ties right into it, and that is wisdom and your work ethic. Everyone say work ethic. Work ethic. <laughs> Learn your work ethic from the book of Proverbs. Look at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 24. It says, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and he will not even bring it back to his mouth. Everybody say, lazy. That's lazy. Set before this man is a beautiful prime rib beefsteak, cooked to perfection. A baked potato with all of the trimmings. A lovely, fresh, crisp salad with your favorite dressing on the top. For dessert is New York cheesecake smothered in blueberries. What time is it, anyway? <laughs> he puts the fork into the beefsteak, but he is too lazy to bring it to his mouth. What is the matter with that guy? One of the pillars of wisdom in Proverbs deals with your work ethic. Some of the phrases we find in Proverbs are like this. A lazy man, his field is full of weeds. His fence is broken down. A little sleep, a little slumber, and poverty comes on you like a bandit. <laughs> there are things that tend toward poverty. These are things that we should seek to avoid. This is the wisdom of God. One of the things you, you want to avoid is failing to finish school. We know that if you graduate from high school, that's an advantage. Or get a GED equivalent, that is an advantage to you. People who do not finish high school tend toward poverty. We know that to be a fact. Here's another one. Don't make babies outside of wedlock. We know that single parenting is one of the great indicators that lend or tend toward poverty. Don't make babies out of wedlock. And if you do get married, stay married. Divorce is another key indicator of poverty. This isn't, this isn't news to anyone, is it? But just understand, this is the list of things that tend toward poverty in our culture. And I'm talking now about a work ethic. And that is the third thing, which is work hard. Show up early. Stay late. Make your employer wonder how she ever kept her business going without you. And here's what I promise you. I promise you that if you will work hard, get there early, stay late, diligent application, someone will notice you. You say, well, you don't know my story, Pastor. You know, I, I, I did all the things you're describing, but I got uh, passed over for a promotion, and then I got laid off. I didn't get what I deserved. Justice didn't come to my house. I was trying my very best. At bad, some of the bad happened to me. Well, listen. I know that everyone has a story, and your circumstances may be a little bit unique, but I'm telling you that as a principle, if you work hard, sooner or later, someone is going to notice you. And prosperity tends toward people who work hard and make a diligent application of the work that God has placed just in front of them. That is the wisdom of God. The other thing to do to avoid poverty in our culture is stay out of jail. It's really hard to have a career and keep a job when you're in jail. And so there, there are some notices. Now, let me make this observation about American culture. I, I think that we have become a place 
where our social connections, our business connections, and, and, and our union connections have been, become more important to us than our work ethic. Now, let me just say there's nothing wrong with making connections. Networking is what smart people do. I network all the time, collaborate, partner, all kinds of networking, and that's a, that's a good thing. But when you place a higher value on those connections, social connections, business connections, union connections, you place a higher value on those things than you do your own work ethic, you have left the wisdom of God. Working hard is essential and central to living in a noble way. This is the way God has orchestrated life and ordered the world. There are some folks who say, well, you know, I'm just not, I'm just not an early person. You know, it's hard for me to get up and get going in the morning. Listen to me. You can't show up at work 15 or 20 minutes late every day. You can't do that. That's not wise. The world runs, it operates on a schedule, and you have to get on it. So if you, the business you're employed at opens up at 7 o'clock or 7.30, 8 o'clock, then you're there, and you're there early, and you get busy. The book of Proverbs says these two virtues tend toward prosperity more than anything else. One is punctuality, and the second thing is diligence. Do you hear those virtues? Those are strengths in people's lives. Punctuality and diligence. And so get up, get there early, and then get to work. The diligent, steady, hands-on practical application in a diligent way of the work that God has placed immediately in front of you is the right next step on your way to a prosperous life. You may have the most menial job that you can imagine. It's not the last job you want to have. You're just on your way. This is a stepping stone to the next place that I want to go. But if you will give yourself completely, wholly, fully in a diligent way with a strong work ethic to whatever God places in front of you, you will be taking steps toward a prosperous future. Hear the wisdom of God. Hear the wisdom of God. Now, I realize I'm preaching to the choir here. I get that. You know, virtually everyone here has a strong work ethic. I mean, you get it. Uh, so you can tell these things to your lazy children. That will help them. <laughs> Seth, that's, that was a joke. Mostly, mostly. <laughs> so no matter your current status in life, Learn diligence. This is the wisdom of God. Now, here's number four. Wisdom and being teachable. Being teachable. Hear, hear, hear this point. Proverbs 12, verse 1. I'll put this on the screen. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Now, I'm, I'm going to say something to one or two, maybe three people in this room right now. This will be a great shock to one or two of you. Listen to me, what I'm going to say. There are people in the world who know more than you do. I'll give you a second. Take a deep breath. It'll be all right. <laughs> Listen, wisdom is learning whatever you can from anybody you can every time you can to be teachable in your nature. A person who is no longer teachable, no one can tell them, no one's going no to order them. No one's going to control. No one's going to tell me. This is, this, is, this is a horrible flaw in character. 
And we see this all the time, friends, as, as people stop learning in life. You know, they, they, start, they, they, they plateau. They plateau on their relationships. They plateau on their career. They plateau. And one of the things that stops people and causes them to plateau is that they've stopped learning. See, when you're through learning in life, you're through. You're done because there's always something more to learn. There's always something that you can, you can learn and, and someone can teach you so that it will make you a better person so you might fulfill God's best plan for your life. And so it's important to stay open-minded and always assume a learning posture. And not just to learn stuff, but to be willing to be corrected. Oh. Oh. To be corrected. How many of you love that? Anyone? I hope I get corrected more than once today. I just love being corrected. It's, it just makes me feel so warm and wonderful, especially when people who are my inferiors are correcting me. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Human nature. But listen, listen to me. God is never going to be finished with you, and He is constantly sending you back for remedial learning in areas where you have not yet got the lesson. And he's determined about this. It shouldn't surprise us when God brings people into our lives to offer these corrections. Sometimes they're subtle, sometimes they're sensitive, sometimes they're winsome, and sometimes they're just like a two-by-four cracking you in the head. But God does it. And if we're willing to submit to that work, especially the work of correction in our lives, wow, the shaping and the work that God can do. Hear the wisdom of God. You're willing to be corrected. Teachableness is one of the foundations of wisdom. Now, now if you're planning on going to hell, I hope you're not. You know, Isaac Embry, he's not going. <laughs> <laughs> I know one guy's not going. <laughs> Listen, we laugh about that. Let me, let me just share my testimony in five seconds. The night I came to Jesus was because I was afraid. So that's not the, that's not the best way to be led to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. Yeah, good for you. That's not what it was for me. For the first time in my life, I had to scare it out of me because I knew I wasn't ready. I knew I wasn't ready in my heart to meet God. I knew that if my life ended that day, I wasn't ready. It scared me. I said, to, I said yes to Jesus because I just, I just wanted to flee from the wrath to come. Not a bad motive. Any motive that gets you to Jesus is a good motive. <laughs> I'm just saying. What was I talking about? Anyway, <laughs> if you're planning on going to hell, I can tell you what's, what's imprinted over the doorpost of hell. J just as you're walking in, right over the doorpost, I can tell you what it says. This is how it reads, and I quote, Yeah, but I thought... Yes, but I thought... Maybe you thought wrong. 
maybe you weren't teachable enough to hear it truthfully so you could apply wisdom. Wisdom and being teachable. Well, here's number, number five. Wisdom and being temperate in relationships. Here's another lesson of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Verses 1 and 2 from chapter 15, it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. Everyone in this room knows this to be true. Anger destroys relationships. You know that's true because you've seen it happen. You know it's true. And here is something, men, that you should be aware of, that words tend to have a greater effect on women than they do on men. I don't know what this is about. It's wiring. It's uh, genetic. It's, it's some, some factor of, of, of the, the difference in the sexes. But men, in general, tend to have a greater capacity to, to handle, manage words, especially harsh words, than a woman does. And that's neither good or bad. That's just true. And so in the morning, if a husband and a wife have a fracas and, and there's, a, there's a big blow-up, what typically happens is that before the man actually gets to work, 10 minutes later, he's already forgotten it. Men have this unusual capacity. I think I, I could speculate on this. I, it has to do with dullness and insensitivity. But, <laughs> but men just have this, whoa, those are some words. Whoo, look at that. And just go on with your day. So by the time he gets home, he's ready for a little sugar because he's forgotten the whole... His, she, on the other hand, has been stewing about that all day. She's rehearsed the whole conversation verbatim over and over again. So that by the time he gets home, she's ready. She's ready to, she's ready to rumble some more because this is unresolved. And he says, come over here and give me a little kiss. She says... She's got a frying pan in one hand. <laughs> Catches him completely off guard. She says, we need to talk this out. We need, to, we need to go over that argument we had this morning. He said, this morning? We had an argument this, this morning? What day is it? Is it Tuesday? or No, it's Thursday. I, I don't even remember what day it is. And it drives him crazy. And so men, let me just say, there are so many there's so many ways that a woman's emotional bank gets depleted by harsh words. And so it's just going to cost you more on the back end if you don't control them on the front end. It'll cost, it'll cost you more words and more commitment and more building of trust than if you would just be temperate to begin with. Hear the wisdom of God. There's so many harsh and judgmental and critical words spoken between people. There's trash talking in sports the comedian who is so critical and demeaning just to get a cheap laugh, the political commentary that has become so caustic and so shrill in our, in our culture, in our time, it's just not good. Part of living in the wisdom of God is learning to control your tongue. Look on the screen with me at Proverbs 16.32. Notice the contrast here. Proverbs has a lot of these contrasting statements. Better a patient man than a warrior. Really, is that true? Uh, yeah. A man who controls his temper is better than a powerful man who could take a city. So wait a minute. Taking a city, that kind of power, that kind of force, that kind of energy, that, you know, there's a place for that. 
Yeah, but it's not nearly as great a virtue as being able to control what you say. So here, God's wisdom. Being teachable and being temperate. Now here's uh, the sixth point I want to make, and that is wisdom in the context of business. Wisdom in business. If you learn the book of Proverbs, it will be a great asset to your business. It will give you wisdom. And Lord knows you need wisdom to run a business effectively. Here are three things that you, we can just pull out of Proverbs. I'll just mention them briefly this morning. For example, Proverbs teaches in the business context, do not co-sign a note. That's in the Bible? Yeah. There are several references actually to, not, to uh, refraining from co-signature. One is in relationship to your drunken brother-in-law. Do not co-sign a note with your drunken brother-in-law. And you laugh, but there are people in the room not laughing because they co-signed a note for their drunken brother-in-law. <laughs> and they have lived to regret it. There are, other, <laughs> there are other references to co-signature. And all of them are unanimous in saying you shouldn't co-sign a note for anybody. Under any circumstances. Hear the wisdom of God. Another one is stay out of unbalanced partnerships. Unbalanced partnership. Now, all of the astute business persons here in the room will tell you that businesses which most frequently fail are what kind of businesses? Partnerships. Partnerships. And so the Bible teaches don't get in unbalanced partnerships. I know he's unscrupulous. I know he's got a terrible reputation. I know, I know he can't be trusted, but he's got the capital I need to expand my business. He's got the money that I need to, to do this marketing campaign that I need to do. And so I'm going I'm to partner with him, even though I know he's a, he's a skunk. He's a scoundrel. The Bible says that's not wise. Don't do that. Here's another one. Stay away from get-rich-quick schemes. If it sounds too good to be true, too good to be true. Instead, use long-term investments. Apply that good work ethic. Invest wisely. This is the wisdom of God. Don't think about some get-rich-quick. You know, if you get down 20 points at halftime, listen, you're not going to recover the game in the first two minutes of the second half. You've got to play hard, play the game, buy the rules, slow and steady wins the race, and that's what we learn is the wisdom of God. Now, here's the last thought I want to give you, and that is wisdom and generosity. Wisdom and generosity. One of the keys to successful living, relationships, finances, one of the keys to life is to be a generous person. I love Proverbs 22.9. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Then on the screen, I love, 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 love Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. Love this verse. One man gives freely. He gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Isn't that just a beautiful promise of God? It's so great. So hear the wisdom of God. A wise person is generous. So give of yourself. This is one of the most gratifying parts of my job. You know, having the role that I have, I get to observe people's lives. And this is a teaching that I offer every year in various parts of the year. And I just mention it from time to time. And people actually get it. This is so satisfying to me when people, the light bulb comes on and, and and when I say to them, you know, you can trust the promises of God. When he says things like, if you give freely, you'll gain even more. If you're generous, you will prosper. If you refresh others, you yourself will be refreshed. 
And so the light bulb comes on and you can see people change their life and change their attitude and change their practices. And they open their heart and they open their hands and they begin to go through life as a generous person. And they give of their time and they give of their talents, they give of their, their, their treasure and they, they help people along the way. And they're open hearted toward others. And it, and it makes a difference in their lives. This is the way to be joyful. Remember last week, the joy of the Lord is your strength? This is one of the ways to joy, is to be generous. And it strengthens your life, and it blesses your life, and it enhances your life. It gives meaning to your life. Let me tell you something, friends. In your last 30 seconds of conscious reality in this world, I promise you not a single one of us is going to be thinking about how much we've accumulated, how much we possess, how, you know, how many people we stepped over on our way up the ladder, I promise you, none of those things are going to come to mind. You know, you put in 30 good years and they give you, you know, they, they give you a plaque, you know, to hang on a wall. No one's going to reference that. What you're going to be thinking about is the people that you cared most about and the, and the way that you love them and the way you opened your heart to them and opened your hands to them and the people that you helped and the, and the, and the lives that were changed because of the influence of your presence in the world. The quality of your love. For the people around you. And this is, what, this is what the wisdom of God teaches us. That a generous person is a person who lives well and honorably and nobly. And one of the most interesting, the most curious things for me in life is to observe people who actually hear this message and can intellectualize this message and say, you know, I think, I think that verse in Proverbs 11 is probably true. If I go around refreshing others, I'll be refreshed. I actually, I actually think that's probably true. And yet they can never get themselves to open their hands. For whatever reason, they just can't open their heart and go like this. It's a very curious, curious thing. Listen, there's only one person who suffers from this. It's you and then it's the next generation, and then it's the generation after that, and the generation after that. But this kind of life is the kind of blessing that flows from generation to generation to a thousand generations. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. That's just great. Now, now listen. You should give of yourself. You should. You should give your time, your treasure, your talents. You should tithe your income. That's one-tenth to the church. Listen, I don't equivocate on that. If you want folks who are soft on this message, go somewhere else. You should tithe to the church. You should give in special offerings. You should scatter your seeds. Because the Bible says if you scatter your seeds, it'll come back. If you bless others, you'll be blessed. If you refresh others, you'll be refreshed. Because, <laughs> I, I, listen, I want a church full of happy people, joyful people, blessed people, prosperous people. Yes, sir. And you'll be blessed. Hear the wisdom of God. Let me just uh, challenge you with this take-home. Read the book of Proverbs. You know, there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, and you can correspond that with the day of the month. And so just take the day of the month and read that chapter in the book of Proverbs. I've done this many times over the years devotionally. I just spend a month, okay, this month I'm going to read the Proverbs. And every day I read a chapter, and there's always a verse or two or more in each of those chapters that just give me wisdom. They give me insight. It's, it's fascinating how many times I'm faced with a decision or some kind of the pressure point and the, and the wisdom of Proverbs just 
opens up the way before me. And it's so helpful. So I challenge you to do that. Now let me conclude with this thought. I don't know who the smartest person in this room is. I don't know who the most beautiful person is, the most handsome person is. I don't don't know who the most gifted person is in this room. The best singer, the best musician, the best teacher. I don't know who the strongest person is in the room, physically strong. I don't know any of those things. What I do know is that none of those abilities equates to wisdom. None of them do. But having said that, wisdom, it can be acquired, it can be learned, it can be received, it can be mastered. You can master the wisdom of God because it is the secret to a healthy, balanced, joyful, productive life. You find your way through life by the wisdom of God. So my prayer for you, is by all means, receive God's wisdom. Amen? All right, let's pray for a moment. Now may the God of wisdom and light give you His wisdom and light. May He continue to illumine your pathway that you'll walk in this modern day among the ancient landmarks of the greatest truths of history. That your life will be prosperous. That you will walk in abundance. And in the times of greatest challenge or stress, you will make decisions not on cunning, not on cleverness, not in human knowledge, expediency, or compromise, but you will make a decision in those moments on the wisdom of God. So, Lord, today we pray for your wisdom. Oh, God, sincerely we ask, help us to find our way and to stay on the way. Impart your wisdom, we pray. In Jesus' name. And the people said, amen. All right, would you stand with us as we sing?